This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show, one hour of radio drama every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com. Our first story this week comes from Authors Playhouse. We'll hear High Air from February 19th, 1945. After that, it's the CBS Radio Workshop and the Crazy Life. That story aired January 27th, 1957. Tonight's story recreates the tense atmosphere of tunnel building, bringing to life the hard-living, hard-working sandhogs who labor underground. He wouldn't understand. Me, a sandhog. Me, Joe Redman, his old man, and a sandhog from the day I was old enough to lift a shovel full of muck. That was Joe Redman speaking, having his say about his life work. But his wife, Laura, took another view. When Steve came home last night, with the clay dried on his shoes and in his hair... Joe, it was like somebody had come to me and said he was dead. Yes, and of course there was Steve himself. Steve, who took an entirely different attitude. This is Sam Hogan the way it ought to be. Speed. 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 Yeah, take it easy. Be careful. Well, sure, if you're an old woman, this is the way to make tunnels. Drive. 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 Yes, tonight's Author's Playhouse presents a story of men who live their working hours in a world unknown to us. A world beneath the Earth's surface, where brawn and skill and cunning combine to fight the ever-lurking threat of sudden death. In response to many requests, Author's Playhouse repeats its presentation of Borden Chase's gripping story, High Air. You're all steamed up over nothing. Our boy going to work in a tunnel? Turning sandhog is nothing? Steve was born to be a sandhog, the same as me and my old man before me. I hate that kind of talk. Not true. That's all Steve has heard from you ever since he was born. And it's what drove him into that tunnel. Nothing drove him there. Nothing but wanting to be a sandhog, the same as me. He got that job on his own hook. He was in the tunnel before I even knew he was thinking about hitting Big Tim Martin for a place on his gang. Then you got to see he gets out of the tunnel. I want my boy kept from all the things I've seen happen to Sandhog. Men I've had at our table one day and heard you tell me the next were dead. Having the bends twisted into screaming knots that look like no man should look. You've got to make Steve get out of that tunnel, Joe. you got to. Now, look, Laura, look. Two months and the kid's vacation is over. He'll have to go back to school then anyway. And that's time enough for him to quit. It's not this job I'm thinking of, Joe. Then what are you making all this fuss about, will you tell me? It's the jobs that'll come after this one. 
One job after another. Until the one that'll kill him. Like someday a job will kill you. No job's going to get me. I don't use my back when I'm working. I use my head. The job killed your father. The day we were married. I don't want that for Steve. I won't have it for him. Then tell him to quit tunneling yourself. He won't listen to me. But he will listen to you, Joe. Well, I'm not going to tell him to quit, so don't ask me again. Joe, this is the last time I'll ask it of you. Make Steve quit that tunnel. Now, you heard what I said, Laura, and you know that I'm no good at changing my mind. Now, forget it, will you? And listen to something that come in a letter I got at the tunnel today. It's from Frank Weber. You remember that little limey what worked with me on that case on job out west? Here. Here, I'll read it to you. <clears throat> he says, uh, there is a tunnel starting under the East River in two weeks. And you could do good for yourself if you was here now. There is hardly no good sand hoggers here right now. And bonuses is being gave to old-timers like I and you. It will be, anyhow, a two-year job. You remember Pete Wozniski, who got the bends last winter and died. <clears throat> this is all I got to say now, so we'll close, Frank Weber. Yeah, sounds like it ought to be pretty good, Laura. Especially that bonus. What do you think about me looking into it, huh? You do whatever you want. Good, good. We'll start east at the end of the month, right? You'll maybe go east. How do you mean that? I'm staying here, Joe. Even if I go on this job Weber wrote about? I'm staying here. It'll make any difference if you go east or don't. I'm staying here with Steve. Oh. Well, jobs with extra dough ain't laying around every day. I'm going east. This is the third letter I have wrote to you since I come east on this job. If you are not answering them because you are sore, all right. But I have thought it all over about Steve. And if you still feel like you did about him sandhogging, I will see what I can do about keeping him away from high air. You said he would listen to me, and if he will, I will figure out some way to do like you want. There is an engineering course at Columbia here that Steve could take when he's through high school. This job is paying extra good, and I have already started putting money away for Steve's education. Dear Joe, I have not answered your letters, Joe, because there isn't any answer to them. You stole my son from me, and you can never give him back to me. He worked in the tunnel here all summer. There is clay ground into his fingers where the knuckle joints make those little wrinkles. It is like your hands, Joe, and every sandhog's hands. You can send Steve to college, but something that is bigger to him now, bigger even than even you are, will send him back underground. I will not write again, Joe. You have stolen Steve from me, and I can never, never forgive you for that.
Joe. Hello, Frank. Where are you heading for? To the store down the corner for some gaspers. Come along with me, eh? No, I better not. I heard that one of the boys was looking for me for something, and I want to see if he's in the company restaurant. Come on, get your smokes in there. Oh, they got no English gaspers, Joe. Nothing but them Yankee mates. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, chum, uh, how's the nipper these days? Nipper, nipper? Yeah, nipper. Oh, you mean Steve. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> He's a thundering big nipper now, Frank. He's finishing his third year at Columbia in the spring. John, you're spoiling a proper sand dog, making a engineer out of the lab. That's why he's in school, to keep him away from high air. I made a mistake once about him, and I won't again. He'll never be a tunneler. Now, Big Tim Martin said he had the makings of a good sand dog when he and him was on the Detroit job. Yeah, well, I'll be getting them gaspers now. The ship's going down in about a half hour. Okay, Frank. Be seeing you. All right, hello. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If I caught the Spade Queen for 300 pinnacles, hey, Tim. I would Oh, hi, Joe. Uh, you looking for me, Tim? Why, uh, yeah. Well, uh, the fellow said I could find you in the company restaurant, Tim, so I come right over. Well, what do you want? I didn't want you particular, but um, there is somebody here maybe you'd uh, kind of like to chin with. Yeah? Who's that? Fellow over there, a couple of tables. The one with his back to us. No. Say, it looks like... No, no, it couldn't be. Go on over and see who it is. Sure, sure, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, if I'd caught that spade queen, I'd have you fellas yelling like a busted air. <laughs> hey, excuse me, but Big Tim said you wanted to... Steve... Hello, Dad. What are you doing here, Steve? What have you got those boots on for and that helmet? Well, I, I'm back making tunnel, Dad. Look, how about sitting down? Yeah. Yeah. Here I've been glad because you almost finished your third year at Columbia. All this time I kept you out of high, high air and then I, I walk in here and find you. Yeah. So you had to come back, eh, kid? Couldn't keep away when they put a few pounds air on the job, huh? Why? I don't know, Dad. Maybe just because my name's Redmond, same as yours. But all I want to be is like you. I want to dig tunnel, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, I was hoping it'd be different with you, Steve. Oh, now, look, Dad, you're not going through all that stuff. No, no, I guess not. Wouldn't do any good. You're here, you got your mind made up, you're going sand hogging, and that's that. I don't want it that way, Steve. One thing, though. What's that? Your mother, Steve. Does she know that you're here? No, Dad. And Well, maybe it'd be better if we didn't talk about her, huh? Yeah, maybe it would. But we're going to talk about her for a minute just the same. Steve, you know how long it's been since I've seen her? Five years, isn't it? Just. And it's five years since I let you work in a tunnel for the first time. Letting you do that, not making you quit, is why your mother and I are, are like we are. Yeah, Dad, I know. She said I stole you, Steve. I tried to make up for it. I sent you to college. Tried to keep you away from high air and make an engineer out of you, but... Well, it didn't work. You're back. I can't do no more. Hey, who gave you the job? Big Tim Martin, Dad. He's taking me in with his gang on the next shift. Yeah? And the one ahead of mine, eh? Say, wait here just a minute, Steve. Hey, Joe, what's new? Hiya. Hi there, Joe. I hear your kids over there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's 40 jacks and a pinnacle. Hey, Tim. Pinoc huh? You got my kid on the next shift. Yeah, yeah. Good husky lad he's rode into since I had him out of the Detroit job. Now, look, Tim. I, 
I want to change over to his shift. Huh? Well, suits me swell. You and him and me, we work good together. Yeah. Sure. And besides, you can talk good. Yeah. How do you mean? <laughs> well, there's a newspaper guy going down with us. Uh, kind of publicity. I, um... I was figuring I'd have this monkey on my neck, but if you're going down with my gang, I'll hand him over to you, okay? Sure, sure. Why not? Okay, give him five minutes and brush him off, Joe. Ah, uh, he'll have a belly full of high air by then anyway. All see? right, Tim. And uh, thanks about changing me over. Oh, forget it, forget it. See you at the cage, Joe. Now, let me see. I got a pinochle, 40 jacks, and a married Jim Trump. That's enough mail to put me out if you play your hand. Well, Steve, you. that's settled. Hey, wait a minute, Dad. You didn't tell Big Tim to lay me off. No, what good would that do? You'd only go down with one of the other gangs. I just fixed it so I could work your shift, that's all. Oh, meaning you don't trust me alone in the heading. Steve, I might as well speak out. Yeah. I don't want you here on account of just one thing. What's that? Well, I'll tell you. I wrote you a letter. I got it yesterday. Yeah. I said in the letter that we was getting well down under the river. That was a mistake. I ought not to have mentioned the tunnel, but I did. You got the letter yesterday. The day you signed up to go back making tunnel on snap judgment. Well? Well, that shows up a bad thing about you, Steve. You move too fast. You don't think enough first. Everything you do has got to be done quick. I know, Dad, Yeah, but... going too fast. Guessing wrong because you don't take time to think out what you're doing. That kind of stuff kills men under the river, son. Now, listen, Dad. Getting yourself put in my gang so you can play nurse to me is bad enough. But if you're going to treat me like I'm a baby, that's a... Looks like you're going to have to save it, kid. Our ship's going down. Come on, you guys. Let's go. Hey. Hey, Joe. Yes, Tim. Here's the newspaper fella. Name's Randall. Yeah. This is Joe Redmond, Randall. Yeah, I'm glad to know you, Redmond. How are you? All right, you bird. Come on. Shake a leg. Come on. Let's get going. Well, where do we go from here? Out to the shaft. Come on. Come on, Steve. Go down to the tunnel in this elevator, ain't eh, Redmond? Yeah, yeah, only it's a cage. Oh, I think... Hey! Hey, get that gate open, somebody. It's cold up here. Hey. You know? hey. All right, come on, come on. Climb on, boys, climb on. All right. Hey, don't shout, boys. Wait a minute. Give him a highball, Tim. All right, Jenny. Hey, cut the rope. That's okay. it. Okay, now what? Just oh, follow the gang. Now that concrete wall up ahead there is the bulkhead closing this end of the tunnel, Randall. Yeah? Well, what about those three doors in it? Well, they open into the airlock. The first one is the muck lock, where they bring out the loaded cars loaded with muck. The door on the right is the man lock. That's where we go through to the tunnel. The other is the emergency lock. I see. Holy what was that? Big Jim just signaled the lock tender that we're ready to go into the lock. You see, it had 40 pounds of pressure in it, and that had to be blown out before the door could be opened. 
I say. We go in there for a minute uh, while they bring the pressure back up 240 pounds, like where we work in the tunnel. Okay. Okay, let's go in, fellas. Come on. In you go. Now what, Redmond? Well, just sit down here on the bench alongside of me. Now, there's 40 pounds per inch... For square inch working pressure here in the tunnel, see? Yeah. Now, this lock that we're in has a door at the tunnel end, the one that we just came through. Oh, yeah. Now, before we can go into the tunnel, the air pressure's got to be built up to 40 pounds in here. It don't take long going in, but coming out, you got to sit here in the lock while the pressure's pulled down gradually to what it is outside, 15 pounds. That's atmospheric pressure. I see. See, taking it slow gives the air that's soaked into your bodies a chance to seep out gradually. If you get decompressed too fast, you can get a bubble of nitrogen lodged in your blood or maybe, maybe in your spine. And that's when you get the bends, isn't it? Yeah. And any time your wife starts to tell you what it's like having a baby, you just oh, tell her that... All right, Pop. Come on, open her up. Now, get ready, Randall. Here comes the compressed air. Swallow fast, Randall. Grab your nose. Hold it tight. Blow air up into your head. It equalizes the pressure. Okay. Say, what makes it so hot in here all of a sudden? The air compression. High air is always hot. Leave the tunnel door open, one of you guys. All right, let's go. Come on, seat over. Hold on. Hey, look, Randall, you keep going straight ahead with the gang, and I'll be right behind you with the kid here. Okay, I'll just walk around up here. All right. How does it feel, Steve, getting back in high air? Oh, swell, Dad. Gee, there's, there's something about a tunnel. I used to think about it all the time in school. And then when you said in your letter you were down into the river, well, gee, I had to come back. Yeah? Well, you're welcome to it. I hope I never see the inside of another tunnel after this one's done. Sometimes I think I won't either. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, Dad. As long as I build these things, you'll be down in a meeting high air. Maybe. Listen, kid, when did you hear from your mother? Last week, I think it was, Dad. She ever mentioned me? Sure, lots of times. She does? What'd she say? Well, different things. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, next time you write her, just tell her... Hey, there's the head. Oh, boy, it'll be swell work in the pocket again, Dad. Yeah. Yeah, Better keep that reporter from getting in the way or maybe getting hurt. You go on up to the shield and I'll be with you since I get rid of Randy. Yeah, sure, Dad. Hey, Randall. Yeah? Hey, you better stick back here with me. Okay. Yeah, here we are. Okay, but say, give me an idea what this is all about, will you? Well, right here, we're maybe 100 feet out under the river. As far as we've made tunnel, there's concrete all around to keep out the river. Oh, well, Up there at the heading is the place. That's wet sand, mostly. I think. Now, there's a big metal sleeve fitted around the inside of the concrete right at the heading. It's like a big biscuit cutter, you see? Yeah. It shoved ahead, maybe a foot at a time, with hydraulic jacks, cutting through the sand. Now, we take out the sand a little at a time. They shove the sleeve ahead, pour concrete back of it, and, well, that's making tunnel. Yeah, but uh, what's all that business with the planks and hay up there at the end where you're digging? Well, there's a river on top of us, Randall, trying to get in the tunnel. Now, we got 40 pounds of air to hold it back. The water in the sand at the face helps to hold it together. But if the whole face was bare, no planks and no straw, 
The sand would start caving in of its own weight. I see. Now, laying them boards against the sand and bracing them in place with the jacks and packing around the boards with hay keeps the sand from breaking down where we don't want it to. I get it. Hey, but look. Suppose the sand did start to break down, as you say. Shut up. Hey, take it easy, will you, Rutland? What's biting you? I'm sorry. You're talking like your words, like talking about punctures when you're driving a car. It's asking for it. Asking for what? A blow. A break in the tunnel face big enough to let the air out and the river in. So you get caught by the water and drown. Or maybe you get blown up through the break. Through the river bottom. The river and 50 feet in the air. With your bones and your body all mushed up together. Well, maybe if it comes slow enough, you got a chance to stop a blow. You just throw everything you can lay hands on into the break and the air drags it out of sight. Shovels, boards, hat, your boots, your clothes. Until, if you're lucky, something jams just right across the hole and stops it up. I get it. Something, anything, to plug up the hole that's letting the water in while it's letting the air out. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you better hike on back to the lock now. I gotta get up to the heading and work my pocket. You know, we're only down here an hour to a shift. Oh, sure. Okay, I'll be on my way. I've got about all this heat down here I can use anyhow. Um, thanks a lot, fella. Yeah. And uh, don't let the lock tender run you through too fast. Well, blame me if it ain't the old chum gel. About time you decided to do some work. Yeah. Well, I had Big Tim change me over to this shift so I could work with my kid here. Oh, uh, this is Frank Weber, Steve. Hiya. Mm. Hi, Joe. I thought you said he was in some blooming calling. He was, but he's sandhogging now. Let's quit, John, and get some tunnel made. Hey, kids, you haven't got uh, plenty of hay in boards? Oh, yeah, plenty, Dad. He's over so I can get started shoveling with him. Yeah, well, wait a minute. Wait. Wait till I see how this sand feels. Hey, I, I don't like the feel of this stuff. It's changed since yesterday. Changed how, Dad? I'm not sure, but it don't feel right. We had good ground so far, but it looks like we've run into a glacial deposit. Well, what difference would that make? Yeah, you wouldn't know about that, would you? It make plenty of difference. It means gravel instead of sand. Stuff that slides down if you even look at it too quick. And like a sieve for the air to leak through in the river, too. Blimey, he started already. Your father's like a blooming old lady, Steve. And with you in the tunnel, he'll be a bloody caution. The face is all right, Joe. It's you that's bombing. Maybe, maybe. But I'm telling you, it don't look good. That gravel slides too easy. I wouldn't want to dig into gravel like this with too many boards out of the face. Oh, don't be a crepe hanger, Dad. Place is okay. Look at it. Cuts like cheese. Easy, Steve. You got a river over your head that's crazy to get in here. <laughs> like a blooming old woman, I told you. Take it easy. Be careful. Look out for this. Look out for that. Sure. If you're an old woman, speed. Speed. That's the stuff. Take tunnel. Hey. hey, look here, kid. Now, take it easy. That's a shovel you got there, not a broom. Get some boards on that face before you take out any more sand. Oh, it'll hold. If I stop now to put it 
Good. I lose time. Time? Time? What's time against your life, you young fool? Get some boards in there. Pack them with hay, I tell you. I say, Joe, stop blackguarding the boy. He's a right fine saint, all he is. Yeah, you tell him, Frank. He thinks I'm still a kid. But I'll show him how to make... You crazy fool! Raise your ears! Even the air's trying to tell you to get some planks in there and close up that bait. Wish I'd never seen the day I ever let you in the tunnel. Hey, look, Dad. You better get some work done on your own side of the pocket or I'll have to come over there and help you. Why, you, you young puppy! Here, 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 here now, Joe. You ain't fixing to swipe your own boy with that shovel. Oh, nice temper you've got. Maybe it was that between you and Mother, not me. Look, you work your end of the pocket, and I'll work mine, see? Hey, quit that kind of talk and remember what I said. Take it easy. <laughs> Take it easy, Steve. Take it easy, Steve. Dad, Dad, it's ready. The air's going out. The face is gone. Steve, I told you. I told you. It's a blow. A blow. A blow. chance to plug that hole, Steve. Tell her. Tell your mother if this works, if the blow stops, tell her I sent you home. Dad. Dad, don't. Tell her, kid. Tell her I sent you back to her. His body stopped the blow, Steve. His body that saved you. He was gone. Like that. He said, tell her I sent you back to her. And then he jumped. He stole you from me. But he sent you back. He sent you back. 
have heard Borden Chase's story, High Air, adapted for Author's Playhouse by Jim Pease and directed by Mr. Harry Buback. Miss Fern Persons was heard as Lara Redman, Mr. Leo Curley as Joe Redman, and Mr. Ed Prentice as Steve. Supporting players in the cast of Authors Playhouse tonight included Mr. Michael Romano, Mr. Gilbert Ferguson, Mr. Sidney Altrum, and Mr. Stanley Garden. The music was selected and played by Mr. Elwin Owen. Next week, same time, same station, Authors Playhouse will bring you the late Stephen Vincent Benet's humorous tale of wilderness days in America, The Sobbing Women. Author's Playhouse was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs> oh, he's a scream! <laughs> oh, what a life you two must have together, Jean. What a crazy life! <laughs> yeah, a crazy life. A real crazy life. The CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Today, Henry Morgan in David Karp's story of a man who lives by laughter, told in part by the woman who married him and who shares the crazy life. Dear Pop, I'm writing this letter in my mind because they won't let me out of bed. I suppose you know from all the prayers Mom's made that I was going to have a baby. It's a baby girl. She came just a half hour ago. We're calling her Amanda. I think she looks beautiful. I'm so glad for you that it was a girl. Yes, I wanted a girl. <laughs> Girls are nicer than boys. Easier to train. And you know the old saying... A son's a son until he gets a wife. A daughter's a daughter the rest of her life. That was Mrs. Barnowitz. She has a bed next to mine. She had a boy yesterday with her third. I may as well tell you I'm in a ward at the hospital. It isn't so bad, really, except that one poor girl's baby died and she cries all the time. I wish I weren't here, but we can't help it. Henny hasn't done well the past few years. I know he's tried, but... Well, what I mean, I'm not in a ward because I want to be. Why don't you try to sleep, dear? I can't. Did you know it was snowing? No, I didn't. Beautiful. It's snowing outside now. It must be beautiful. Henny hasn't seen the baby yet. I wonder if he really wanted a girl the way I did. Mr. Carter, how did you get here? I had to kill three nurses and tie up a doctor. Cops are after me. I can't stay long, Mrs. Barnwood. Oh, yes. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day, Jean. Hello, Henny. Did they let you see the baby? 
I've seen a hundred babies. None of them seem to recognize me. The girl, huh? Mm-hmm. What a production. Nine months and all you can come up with is a female midget. <laughs> you take an elephant three years. Yeah. Yeah, you don't let all the clean linen go to your head. I still make the jokes around here, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my control for a minute. Check, watch yourself at all times. Hey, I brought you something. Nourishment? Hey, feast? Hey, rare oriental delicacy? Jimmy, I can't eat peanut brittle. <laughs> peanut brittle. Here now, Mrs. Bonowitz, let's keep ourselves under control. Look, Jean, I smuggled this in. I got it at great personal expense from a smuggler down the block. Smuggle it out. Uh, Mrs. Barnowitz? <laughs> no, thank you, Mr. Carter. No, it's not good for my bridge. What bridge? If it's the Brooklyn Bridge, somebody's kidding you. I bought that years ago. Kenny, I think you better go now. Check. When do you break out of here? End of the week. All right, check. I'll be waiting for you with a fast car. Uh, kiss the mob for me. Mrs. Barnowitz, not a word about my being here. You know what happens to squealers, right? Don't you? <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like, Henny, to make a joke of the baby's being born. What I'm trying to say is that I'm coming back home. I'm leaving, Henny, for good. It wasn't right, not even from the first date. It was snowing then, too, and I ran all the way home from the theater. Do you remember how I cried when I told you he'd run up to the stage during the amateur contest and imitated horrible things? <laughs> People laughed while he imitated things like a chicken running away from a farmer, flapping his hands and squawking and rolling his eyes and making perfectly awful sounds. Then he pretended he was on a desert dying of thirst and crept along that filthy stage on his hands and knees and licked it. And then he was a subway train and a whole crowd of people and he was a wheel and he was a piece of gum stuck to a man's I would die of shame. All the people were laughing and I couldn't stand it. I got up and I ran out. Oh, do you remember that? Maybe it wasn't so horrible after all. I was younger then and I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. In those days, all I thought about was my dignity. I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Funny, it snowed, too, the night I saw Henny home on furlough from the army. It was just like Henny to be in the middle of a crowd, and the crowd was watching Henny. Henny was arguing with one of those street Santa Claus. Oh, I don't know who you're right. talking about. Well, look, I don't know why you're being stubborn, Max. Now, look, soldier, I told you for the tenth time, my name ain't Max. Well, it ain't Santa Claus either. Henny, Henny Carter. Hi, Jean. Merry Christmas. Henny, what's the matter? He's enough. That's what's the matter with him. All right, all right. Now, look, Miss Hayes here is a perfectly impartial judge. Jean, what's wrong with Max here? Well, I don't know, Henny. Looks all right to me. A skinny Santa Claus. A miserable, underfed Santa Claus. His lips are blue. His teeth are knocking together like castanets. Oh, was that right? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you're all substantial citizens. Some of you are mothers and fathers. Are you going to let your kids think that Santa Claus looks like this? Henny, what do you want the poor man to do? Well, he can put on my overcoat. That's all I'm asking him to do. Is that unreasonable? It'll fill him out. It'll warm him Now, up. look, Soja, I told you a dozen times. I'm not going to put your overcoat on under this suit. Now, go on home, huh? No, you're going to stand there in that skinny, shivering state and maybe scare little kids? Not while I have anything to say about it. Come on, buddy, let's go. Off with the skinny Santa Claus suit. Hey, take it off. Tell me. Stop it. You'll get into trouble. Hey, someone call it. A policeman did come and we finally had to run for it. 
Henny had two weeks' leave left then, and I think we saw one another every day of those two weeks. And when the two weeks were up and I came in and told you and Mom, do you remember what you said, Papa? Do you remember? For Pete's sake, why did you marry the goof? That's a terrible thing to say, Harry. I love him, Papa. Well, I didn't know there was any insanity in our family before now, this. Now, that's enough of that, Harry. Gene, Henny is going to make you a wonderful husband. He's kind and generous and thoughtful, and he loves you very much. Henny is going to be a good husband. You wait and see. A good husband. It's going to be hard to tell Henny that I'm leaving him. Very hard. He's been able to find something funny in almost everything else, everything we ever did. Even something as ordinary as riding on a bus. Have your fare ready. Step the rear, please. Plenty of room. You know, Gene, I've been thinking. Look at all of these people just sitting here on the bus. They're not improving their minds. They're not getting anything at all out of the ride. What are you supposed to get out of a bus ride? Well, you're supposed to get something out of life all the time, honey. They're living their lives right now, right here. And they're not getting anything out of it. Ladies and gentlemen. Honey, for heaven's sake, sit down. What are you doing sitting on the bus? What are you getting out of it? No, look, look. Here you are. You're traveling in a marvel of transportation in the largest city of the world on Swank Fifth Avenue, and you sit there without ooing and aahing. Well, you're not marveling at the things you can see. Come on. Let's have an ooh of appreciation for Fifth Avenue. Come on now. All together. Ooh. Get into the spirit of it. Let's have a let's have an ah for the Fifth Avenue Bus Company. All together, ah! <laughs> and there's the good old Empire State Building. Let's have a double ooh and an ah for the Empire State Building. All together, ooh, ooh, ah! Annie, you fool, sit down. Let's not forget the man who drives the bus. A big double ah for the driver. Mrs. Carter. Hmm? Are you all right? Yes, I'm all right, Mrs. Barnowitz. <laughs> I can't sleep for more than ten minutes at a time. You know who I dreamed about. Now who? <laughs> Your husband. I think he's so funny. He's in show business, isn't he? No, he isn't. Really? With that wonderful sense of humor? I'm afraid that's the only thing he hasn't tried. <laughs> well, he's the sort of man who'd do well in almost anything. I can imagine what it must be like living with him. <laughs> Some life. Yeah. Some life. I don't think she could imagine what it was like, Papa. Do you remember the time he worked for a florist? I'll never forget it, the night he brought home a surprise. Henny, is that you? Yeah. Surprise, honey. Heaven's name is that. Flowers! Boy, I had a tough time getting it up the stairs. Will it go through the door? Oh, uh, I... Kenny, that'll never get through the door. It's too big. Yeah, well, I guess not. We'll just leave it in the hall for the neighbors to enjoy. Hey, isn't it a beaut, Jean? Must be 2,000 flowers in it. See how it spells out the words in geraniums there. Welcome to the International Pulp Makers Association. Where did you get it? Well, uh... They made it up for a, for a hotel that was counting on getting a convention, but they didn't. What on earth are we going to do with it? Well, the fact of the matter is, it's a, it's a going away present. Who's going away? I am. That is, I did. 
Mr. Poppers is crazy about me. You know, he, he told me, Henny, take anything in the shop tonight. So I picked this. There's no point in taking anything small. Henny, were you fired? Fired? I've never been fired in my life. No, Mr. Poppers and I agreed that the job just wasn't suited to my talents. I mean, flowers are wonderful, but what's the future in them? We'll have to move, Henny, now that the baby's coming and I can't work. Well, you're not going to work, Jean. I wouldn't permit it. I'll find something better. I'll get something more in line with my talents. Mr. Poppers thinks a great deal of me. Should have heard what he said. Yes, I'm sure he likes you, Henny. Hey, I got a great idea. We'll put a sign on the flowers to our neighbors, courtesy of Mr. and Mrs. Henny Carter. Yes, that's a fine idea, Henny. I'm sure Mr. Pappas liked Henny and the man he worked for at the garage and all the others. I'm sure they liked Henny. He made everyone laugh. The last thing I heard before I came to the hospital was people laughing at Henny. We'd gone downtown to a department store. Gene, look, are you sure you won't let me do the shopping? You're not in any condition to fight those crowds in there. Hey, there are certain things I'll have to have for the baby before I go to the hospital, and I just can't trust you to buy them by yourself. I don't know why you always... Oh, excuse me. Boy, they really go through that revolving door, don't they? Gene, how about my taking you home? See, I can come back. Penny, I can no, home. I can't trust you. Now, come on, let's go in. No, wait, wait a minute. Now, now, take it easy going through the revolving door. You don't want to get bumped now or anything. Now, go on. All right, get, get in. Well, Henny, come on. Don't stop in the door. It's stuck. What'd you say? The door's stuck. Won't move. Well, try moving back. Well, it doesn't go the other way either. Oh, now, Henny, stop it. If this is a joke. It's not a joke. I'm stuck. Gene, you got to get me out of here. It won't budge. I'll go tell someone. Wait a minute. Excuse me. Could you help me? Sorry, madam. I have a customer. No, you don't understand. My husband... Oh, for Pete. Uh, excuse me, this is an emergency. Yes, madam. My husband's stuck in the revolving door in the front of the store and it won't move. Well, come with me. I'll get hold of the manager. <laughs> Let us go here, please. Uh, officer, officer, are you getting that man? Good heavens, he seems to be dying of lack of air. He's all right. He's just killing us. Are you sure? Uh, Mrs. Carter, oh, this is the man's wife. How is he? Oh, he's all right, ma'am. He's stuck, but he's all right. He's been making faces like that and rolling his eyes for the past ten minutes. Well, I'm out right away. He's a great joker, your husband. Are you sure he's joking? I mean, is there enough air for him in there? Oh, plenty of air. He was dying of thirst a few minutes ago, and before that, he was dying of hunger. He began to eat his time. <laughs> well, I, I must say, your husband has kept his sense of humor, Mrs. Carter. Mrs. Carter. This woman's fainted. And that was the last thing I heard before the baby was born. The sound of people laughing at Henny. As I stood there and watched him, I somehow began to feel like a fool. And I decided then to leave him. Maybe you won't understand why I'm doing this, Papa. And maybe I can't really explain it except to say that it just wasn't funny anymore. Not funny at all. You all right, Jean? Boy, I'm sure glad you're out of there. Can I hold the baby? No, I'll carry her, Henny. She awake? Hey, Mandy. Mandy! You know you're all paid for? Courtesy of the city of New York. Well, I'll write to Mayor Wagner and thank him. Do it tonight. Hey, we ought, we ought to get a cab. Taxi! Now, now, be careful. Getting into be careful. Now, be, be careful. Now. 
uh, 200 West 10th and uh, take it easy, you know. We got a newborn baby back here. Right job. Better check to see if she's breathing. Of course she's breathing. Well, it doesn't hurt to check. She's very young. She hasn't had much practice at it. I just take a little peek. Yeah, it's still breathing. Can he please? Very remarkable. Are your fingernails growing? Of course. Probably your hair's growing too, huh? It is. Fascinating. This fascinating is like an exact duplicate of a human being. She is a human being. Well, of course. Of course. Better check her breathing again. Yep, still okay. <laughs> Hey, buddy, you think I'm funny? Uh, uh, sorry, mister. Just sort of made me laugh. There's nothing funny about being a father, you know. You have to check up on things like that. You sure do. Yes, sir, boy. Nobody's going to catch me napping. I'm going to stay on the job, make sure those nails keep getting longer, and that hair keeps growing, and that breathing goes out all the time. In, out. In, out. In, out. Better check that again. Honey, stop it. Stop it right now. She's not some joke. She's my daughter. Now, just keep your eyes closed until I open the door. I have a surprise for you. Will you close your eyes, please? Henny, I'm exhausted from that clock. I'm, I'm opening it. I'm opening it. I'm opening it. Eye closed. Eye closed. Step in. That's it. Okay. You can look. Where did all this come from? Hey, Mandy, open your eyes. Take a look. Where did all this come from? Well, I don't know where the crib and the playpen and the bassinet and all those baby clothes came from, but the flowers came from Mr. Pappas. The champagne came from France. I borrowed the champagne buckets and the champagne glasses from the restaurant down. You know, no sense buying those things. We hardly use them. Where'd you get the money for all this? Well, some of it your mother bought and some of it I bought. If I can guess the things that you bought with her money. With American money. (laughs) Hey, I woke her up. Surprise, Mandy. Surprise. <laughs> Gene, what's the matter? What's the matter, honey? Gee, both you girls are crying. What are you both crying about? Don't you like everything? Oh, Gene, I, I know what I'll do. I'll cheer you up. I'll, I'll do that French waiter routine. Remember that time in the restaurant over on Broadway where they really thought I was French? Remember how I started ordering? Um... I see, vous, madame, uh, uh, vous voulez uh, le champagne, uh, voulez-vous le cake? Henny! Uh, Henny, I'm leaving you. What'd you say, honey? Taking the baby and I'm going to Evanston to live with my mother. It just hasn't worked out with us, Henny. It didn't matter so much when it was just the two of us. But there's the baby now and that makes a great difference. You understand what I'm saying? I uh, catch all the words, but uh, I don't know if I understand what you're saying. You will after I'm gone. There's just one trouble now that you've spent all the money that my mother gave you. I haven't any money for fair. I'll have to wire Mom for some. When do you want to go? As soon as I get the money. It's no use, Henny. You won't ever change, and the baby deserves a real father. I, I tell you what. I'll take an oath that I'll stop drinking and gambling... And beating up Saturday nights and maybe even Sunday nights. Honey, I've got to do it. Well, I'm not finished. I'll even give up all those names, I see. Marge, uh, Evelyn, Edith, Sally, Gwen, Mary. Did I ever say you were a bad husband that way? Did I? Well, if I don't do all those things, I mean, if if I didn't, how could I give them up and improve myself for you? After all, uh, let's face the truth, I'm perfect. Who, who improves on perfection? I know you're good, Henny, but I want our daughter to have a father she can admire and respect. Money thing, huh? 
Yeah, well, I've batted pretty well. I met an old army buddy of mine. Well, maybe not a buddy, more like an enemy, but he's mellowed since then. He offered me a job. Oh, not again. Oh, no flowers or old rubber tires. Selling is what this is. Uh, not door-to-door stuff either, Gene. I mean, high-class selling with a salary plus. Uh, I'm telling you the truth. Yes, I know you are. You'll need a new... Oh, no, no, we will never change. Never, never, Go, never, Couldn't you never. just stop saying never for a minute? Just for a minute? Look, uh, I'm the kind of person I am. I don't think I'll ever be any different because I don't see what's so terrible about me. From your point of view, you're right. I'm not perfect, honey. I know that. I don't want perfection, honey. You uh, know what you want? Yes. And it isn't Henny Carter. Henny, there's no point talking about it. Yeah, you're right. Time comes when talk's got to stop. All right, Gene. I'll get the money for you. And you won't have to wire your mother. Unless you want to light her up for Christmas or something. <laughs> it's a joke. Yes, I know. Well, it's no joke what I said about getting the money. I'll get it for you. Right now. Penny, where are you going? Going out to get the money for you. It's snowing out. It's all right. Penny? Yeah? Button up your coat. Yes, ma'am. Penny? Yeah. This me, honey. Well, where have you been? You've been gone nearly four hours. Oh, boy, I'm tired. You look exhausted. What have you been doing? I tried to get a cab, but uh, I couldn't... Uh... Oh, that snow. Now, you can't lie down with your clothes on. You're soaked. Let me help you off with that. Yeah. Penny, you're perspiring. I, uh... I got the money. Here. It's $35. I'm sorry it wasn't more. What took you so long? Well, I'm tired. Did Pappas lend you the money? Did you walk all the way from his place? I didn't borrow it. I, uh, wouldn't want Mr. Pappas to know about us. I'd be ashamed. Not you, Ashamed of myself. Such a flop. Excuse me, Jane. I, I think I'm going to pass out. Penny, what's wrong? What happened? Where did you get the money? Good fairies. Met a leprechaun and Cassidy. Cassidy? Henny. I, I got to sleep, Jane. Where did you get the money if you didn't borrow it? Pocket. Coat pocket. Wearing your jacket? Yeah, yeah, a jacket, jacket someplace. What's this? Crown and Cassidy, is that it? Mm-hmm. 500 CC Type A donor Henny card. $35. Henny? Henny? Hmm? Did you sell your blood? Oh, yeah. Oh, girl, I'm saying like it. Because your friends wouldn't lend you the money? I said, was it because your friends wouldn't lend you the money that you had to sell your blood? Oh. No. Need friends. I need them. Everybody needs friends, but (laughs) who needs blood? Only good for cutting yourself when you shave, huh? Excuse me, I'm dead. I'm just dead. You're a good man, Henny. You're good. 
I suppose we've got to live our lives the only way we know how. And your way isn't a bad way, Henny. And for you, it's the only way. A crazy life. What life isn't. Andy and I will go the whole way. Henny, can you hear me? Never mind. We've got lots of time now. Thank you, Henry. Thank you for the crazy life. You've been listening to the CBS Radio Workshop and Henry Morgan in The Crazy Life by David Karp. It was directed by Ira Ashley and featured Elspeth Eric with Bryna Rayburn, Agnes Young, Madeline Pierce, Louis Van Ruten, Santos Ortega, Carl Frank, and Larry Haynes. The original music was composed and conducted by Milton Kay. The CBS Radio Workshop is produced in New York by Paul Roberts. This is Ted Pearson inviting you to join us again next week for the premiere broadcast performance of the one-act opera, Le Grand Bretèche, based on the immortal Balzac story about the jealousy of a deceived husband, composed by Avery Claflin with libretto by George R. Mills. This is the CBS Radio Network. That's it for the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more from Authors Playhouse, the CBS Radio Workshop, this podcast, and all of the others at relicradio.com. Don't forget to donate while you're there if you'd like to help support this and all of the Relic Radio Shows. It's how all of this is made possible. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show. Relic Radio.